Hi friends, it's Kayla Moran and welcome back to Let's Get Candid Podcast. How is everybody doing today? Happy Thursday. Can't believe it's already February. I'm just not okay, but it's okay. We're going to be fine. And I can't believe I'm already, you know, one month in almost into my final semester of law school. It just is so surreal. And to be honest, I really just never thought that I would get here. So it's absolutely wild. And it's actually very timely that we're talking about law school in the last few episodes and in this intro because today's guest is someone that is so inspiring to me and I'm so grateful that I got to meet her. Haven't met her in person but through social media because she is a joint JD MBA student at Syracuse University and we talk all about what it's like to be an Olympian almost. She was an Olympian hopeful. She almost made it to the Olympics and she is Canadian. She's an international student and she went to Syracuse for undergrad and decided to go there for law school as well. And we talk all about her decision to go to Syracuse back for undergrad and again for law school and what the process is like as an international student. She's also a fellow content creator and we talk about the student visa restrictions on being a content creator. Wild, I know. There's just so many good things in this episode that I can't wait for you guys to listen to but I wanted to give you a quick suck and sweet of the week, and then we'll jump right in. So my suck of the week is that it's cold. It's freezing. Um, You know, it's that time of year where seasonal depression, and it gets late, uh, gets dark super early, and, you know, I have to stay up way past my bedtime to get all my readings done, and it's dark at 4 p.m., and I'm just exhausted by the time 10 o'clock comes around, and yeah it's just it's cold and kind of not fun right now with this weather but my sweet of the week is that it's my last semester of law school we're in the thick of it you know I'm getting my groove back I'm back in a swing of things and yeah I'm doing a lot better you know just mentally emotionally I'm really excited about this year I've been sticking to my weekly intentions practice and I've been really I don't want to say productive, but I've just been very, you know, sticking to my to-do list and not overworking myself. I make a conscious effort to, if I don't get to it, I don't get to it and I move it to the next day. But just, you know, writing out my to-do list every day, well, every week and splitting it up by day and just really making sure I know what I need to get done that day. What are my, are my must-dos? And then you know, whatever else I want to do that week and kind of see where it fits in. And I've just been pretty good about that. And I feel really proud of myself because before I started making to-do lists, you know, I was the type of person I'd get a planner every school year and then a month and I stopped using it. And then everything was just a hot mess. And I really didn't like have a plan of attack for the week. So having this system really helps me. But yeah, things are going pretty well. So I want to jump right in to the episode. Don't forget to screenshot as you're listening and tag me and Tia so we know you're listening and it's the best way to grow the show. Without further ado, meet Tia. 
Hi, Tia. How are you? Hi, Kayla. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. I'm really excited for our conversation. I'm so excited to have you. So you are a JD MBA student. So she's also in law school, but she's also in the business school getting her master's. And so why did you choose to do a JD MBA versus either just the JD or just the MBA? That's a really good question. So when I came into law school, I, you know, I thought I was going to be a criminal defense attorney and that's where my passion for the law developed. Um, And as soon as I got here and started just having conversations and listening to different panels or different people speak, I think I realized that um, I had more of a, a personality that is suited for other other areas of, of the law and not necessarily criminal defense work. Um, I've always just been business-minded. Uh, prior to COVID, my, my father started a small business and, and I got to be like really integral in that development. And I just know that I, I have a passion for business, whether it was big or small at the time. And then, um, you know, we, we, I went to a joint degree session and I found out some of the areas that I could take my law degree if I wanted to. And in the back of my mind, I thought MBA, but then I had a little bit of imposter syndrome and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna do it. But then, um, you know, I, I just took a leap of faith essentially. And I, I applied and I did my own research in the background as I was waiting to find out if I was accepted or not and started speaking to a couple other law students at different schools that were doing the joint degree program and finding how it benefited their practice. And I knew that I, by that time, I kind of knew I wanted to go into corporate practice. I like sports and entertainment. I like M&A work. So I thought this would be the best way to enhance that. And lo and behold, we got in. And so far, it seems to be aligning aligning with what I want in the future. So it worked out. It really worked out. That's awesome. I didn't know that you could, I mean, I knew you could do it, like apply for the MBA or like whatever, like joint degree program while you're already in school. But a lot of people I know applied going in already as both. So I, it's interesting to know that you did it while you were already in law school. And I also wanted to do the more transactional corporate side entertainment. Um, now more focusing entertainment, social media law, um, so I, I agree. I don't have the, the temperament and the personality for criminal defense work. I never want to do litigation, um, but it's funny to see other people feel the same way. Um, and yeah, so what is it like being in a JD MBA? So we were talking about this a little bit off air, but my school does it differently where your first year is your first year of law school. And then you have your joint degree program, whether it's a master's in public policy or public health or social work or MBA, that's your second year. And then you have your 2L year and 3L year. So you get to four year, four year degree. You guys at Syracuse do it a little differently. So how does your school handle doing joint degrees? Yeah. So I think the way it works is if you apply on the front end, so traditionally and not necessarily how I applied to the business school, then your first year is business school. And then you go into law the second year and then you're merged for the other two. But in applying internally, you have the option of essentially fast tracking and the electives kind of cancel each other out. So I have less option to do um, business electives and less option to do law electives. And so from my second year of law school to the third year to the potentially fourth year or the, the another semester after your third year, you are just mixed. So right now I'm in four business classes and two law classes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I I was saying, I think it's a cool having it mixed because 
the way we do it, it's like you're very heavily in one program or the other. Whereas with you guys doing it mixed, you you get a break from, you know, law and business. Like you get to, you know, one day is one thing, the other day is the other, but like you're not, I don't know, it breaks it up. It breaks up the monotony a, a bit, which I think I at least I think would be really refreshing. It's funny, my dad, I posted at the end of my 2 year, like in May last year, I was like, one more year and I'm done with school forever. And he goes, LLM or MBA, I go, I'm done with school. Like that's not <laughs> happening. Cause I did joke going in that like going into law school was like, I might do an MBA later. I don't know if I want to do it joint because I want to like figure, like I know law school's going to be hard. Let me figure that out first, but maybe I'll do an MBA later. And he was like, he was like, okay, that's a good plan. So then like, that was still an idea. I don't think with my current career plans and goals, I don't think I would need to do it. Who's to say I won't later. But if I ever do, it would be like later in life. But he was like, so second, another degree. And I'm like, no, like we're done. We are done. I am done in May. That's it. Case closed. Like we're not, we're not doing school. But why did you choose to go to law school in the first place? Why, why law? Why higher education? Why grad school? Yeah. So honestly, um, I kind of always knew that there would be another degree after undergrad, but I was so conflicted at the time I was, uh, I guess what you call amateur athlete, semi-professional athlete. And I ran track and field back in Canada. I was training to make the Olympics. And then when COVID at the turn of COVID, and I have to say before COVID, I kind of knew that after the Olympics, I would go to some program. And so I kind of played with, um, PhD in psychology, because that is like my first interest. Um, and then I thought, okay, maybe business. And then at the turn of, uh, right before COVID hit, I started nannying for (laughs) a, a judge and we would just have these intricate conversations. And I realized that a lot of my, the intersection of like my psychology interests had to do with juvenile justice and and that's, uh, you know, a whole nother story from like my childhood and some of my friends and just what were my interest and passion and like devotion to where I wanted to take my life and some of the work that I wanted to do stemmed from. And, you know, he kind of got me in the mindset that I should go to law school and that's where I should bring my advocacy skills and some of the interests I had on trying to serve sp- certain populations. And so that's kind of how I started off with the the criminal <laughs> defense, what, what I thought I was yeah. going to do and how that kind of morphed, I, I guess, and to answer your, to come back to the question of why law school and why higher education and how the MBA kind of came into that is, you know, marginalized communities and low income communities and at-risk youth, yes, they need um, advocacy and they need um, access to justice and welfare, but I also think they need money. And I'm going to be, you know, completely frank and completely honest. And what that looks like to me, at least in the work that I hope to do is, yes, it sounds like I'm going into the like corporate America, but there is a part of what I want to do in the future that is value creation and finding strategic solutions to get marginalized groups and low income groups money. They need resources. They need, um, we need to make up that, that, that wealth gap and that opportunity gap and that is where the MBA plays in. And that's kind of where the criminal defense work kind of morphed into a corporate side because of that strategic valuation. Like there is a way. Um, I can't speak on it too much because I don't, there's so much that I don't know, 
And I think that is the beauty of the higher education. And I think I joked as well about an LLM and I joked about a PhD, but I swear this is it. <laughs> this is it for me. I'll do like CLE learning credits. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but there is a, there is a way to use the, the corporate M&A, the, the business strategic side to create value for marginalized groups. And I hope, I know that won't be the majority and the bulk of my work just because of the nature of the practice area that I, that I'm pursuing, yeah. but, but that will be, um, that will be a bulk of what I devote, at least my pro bono yeah. or other, my ex. Yeah. I was going to say that would be your pro bono work. And I think as a Latina woman, as a Hispanic woman, I agree. I, you know, I was having this conversation last week and it, it was a lot more, I don't want to say negative in tone, but it was a lot more, not a productive conversation, but you know, we, she was saying like, you know, the only, as a like Latin person, we have a responsibility to help people through the, the legal system, through the immigration system, through the court system. I was like, yes, but I know that that's not where my strengths lie. So I would rather as the Hispanic attorney, the Hispanic entrepreneur be there to network with them and hold my hand out and bring them into the circle this way and help them, you know, have the resources and the money and the business expertise to build the life that they want. Once they're already here, you can get them in this country. And then I will get them where they want to be within the the systems in this country. Mm -hmm. Cause I know my strengths wouldn't go well with the justice system and immigration and all those things. And it was, that was the, like, that's the nice way to put that conversation, but it was a very heated conversation. It's like, there's different ways, like, there's a reason there's lawyers. There's a reason there's doctors, a reason there's business people. There's a reason there's every career that there is like, they can all be used for bad, but they can all be used for really good things too. And it's like, just cause I want to be in the corporate side and I want to make money doesn't make me selfish. It's me being able to make money and have that money to then invest in the future and the generation behind me. Mm-hmm. That's still helping my community just cause it's not helping in the way that you think we should help them. Doesn't mean it's not helping. So I really love that you said that, that, you know, you, how you grew up, where you grew up seeing those in the community that you grew up in and realizing like, those aren't where my strengths are, but I still want to help them. And I can help them in this way by getting this degree. I think that's so special because it's the same thing. I want to do, you know, corporate entertainment, social media law. That's not helping my community in any way, like the way, like in the way that people think it, I should be. But by me having that career and making money and making a name for myself and building a network, mm-hmm. I am helping the people behind me who want to do that because, you know, m- people of color may want to do that too. And by opening that app, that door for them, I'm allowing mm-hmm. them to come in. So I love that you said that, but I wanted to talk because you very briefly glanced over it. So you're Canadian and you were going to train for the Olympics. So I want to talk about being an international student in the United States because you went to undergrad and now grad school in the United States and you're from Canada. Um, But first talk about the Olympics. I did not know about that. (laughs) So you ran track and field. You were going to go to the Olympics. What? Like So (laughs) so yeah, let me break that down a little bit. So I, um, I ran track and field at Syracuse University for in undergrad and then I went back home to train at our like Canadian National Training Center um, and I was trying to make the Olympic team so I did not make the Olympic team <laughs> I know a lot of people ask that and it's you know it's a, it's a really hard team to make I, I want to preface it by not saying by, by saying that but um, 
I actually never got to attend the, the final trial that would put, solidify you being on the team. By then, I had already committed to law school and it got pushed back a year, of course. And so how that ended up happening in the end was because the Olympics were postponed a year, our trials were postponed a year and the entire like Olympic dream would have had to been postponed a year. And my options were go to law school or defer my admission. And I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, you know, if you were in that select few to, to have a chance at the Olympics and completely blatantly, I was in the select few that would have been a part of that Canadian um, Olympic team. I, I looked at the deferment process at the time. It was COVID. They couldn't guarantee our scholarships. They couldn't guarantee a spot to go to law school. And I'm sure you know this, the, the law school application process became havoc after COVID. It was insane. Schools had to turn away candidates and people, schools were like paying kids to not come this year. And it's, it was just, it was just insane. And I kind of knew that going into law school the year after COVID would just be I'd be gambling. I'd be gambling with my future. And yes, does it suck to have to walk away from a dream that I had, you know, since I was a young girl and, and walk away from like the small window of when you can become an Olympian and have that Olympic dream? Absolutely. But, um, you know, when you're, when your passion is calling you elsewhere, you kind of just know, like it was, it was a very, um, like spiritual, saying goodbye. Like it was, it was like dying to like my old self and creating, becoming someone new. And I think that um, it went the way it was supposed to. And I, I look back with no regret, absolutely no regret. Um, and we're full steam ahead. And I can't wait to be a part of, you know, the mentorship and, and maybe the representation of the next generation of Canadian Olympians. That's so cool. And I love that you, you say that you'd look back and you don't have any regrets because it's true. It's, when you can't look back and have regrets because everything happens for a reason. And if that was the path that was meant for you, it would have happened, but you know, there was something bigger at play quite literally COVID, but just, you know, you, you had to make that choice and it's a difficult choice, but you know, you had to look at, yeah, your Olympics have been a dream. The Olympics have been this dream for your whole life. But like you said, there's a small window opportunity for it. Whereas you can now choose to step forward into a future that's going to get you a lot further in your life goals, your ultimate life goals. And so, but you can always support, you know, your friends and the Olympic team, your, the Canadian Olympic team throughout the rest of your life, you know, as a spectator or donating or however it is you can help, um, sirens in the background. Um, <laughs> I live next to two hospitals, so there's that, but, um, but yeah, no, I think that's really cool. And it's really important too to say that you don't have any regrets because you can't look back and regret what, what didn't happen because everything happens for a reason. Um, so I think that's beautiful. And so, yeah, so you're Canadian. You went to Syracuse for undergrad. So did you go to Syracuse because of the track and field scholarship or um, yeah, how did you come to the U.S. for college? Like why the U.S.? Did you look at any yeah. other schools or was it just Syracuse? Yeah, so um how that kind of went down is it's really funny. I went to Syracuse like on a visit at the beginning of my like track and field uh, journey. Essentially I started track and field pretty old, a pretty old age. I think I was about 15 and 14. I was about 14 when I started track and field and I kind of gained like success pretty fast. It was pretty quick. 
I, I was, you know, making our, what would be called our state team, but in Canada, it's provinces, so provincial team. And then I went on to represent Team Canada pretty fast, probably my second year of running track and just gained traction. And I, I, I preface what I'm about to say with all of that, because to come to school in America as an athlete from Canada, you kind of have to be one of the best, you know, America, America has just like a plethora of athletes and they're, they're really, really good. And you really have to be a standout to be um, kind of a part of the American sports like system of amazing talented athletes. And so um, I came to Syracuse. It was my, my second visit, I believe. And at the time I was not, very good in comparison to right before I came to Syracuse. So, you know, they took a shot on me and they, you know, were the, the first school to, the first school to offer me a full ride scholarship. And I think after I left Syracuse for that visit, I did not, I didn't commit, but I went on to, you know, go to track meets and I kept running and I was just getting faster and faster. And of course it makes you more lucrative and um, more sought after as a, as a recruit. And then came an influx of other schools. And there's two ways to look at it kind of. At the time I thought, wow, well, like these are bigger schools and Syracuse is obviously a pretty big school, but these are bigger schools and warm weather. Um, and I was a little bit naive because I didn't know like how good some of these schools were. Like when we're talking national championships, like I wasn't going to win a national championship at Syracuse with my team. And that's not to say my team wasn't good, but it's just some, some of the schools that we were up against, you know, up against different facilities, different size teams, different talent groups, et cetera. Um, but essentially I ended up choosing Syracuse because it felt like family. It felt like they were taking a risk on me um, to, for my long-term development. It felt like a coach that at the time uh, wanted to invest in me and didn't want me to just run fast tomorrow, which is how some of the other schools felt. And so I came to Syracuse and it was, it was, it was a tough transition, I think, coming from Canada and just like a smaller, closer knit community and being like um, on the team and as a freshman and you kind of go through the weird, awkward transition, being away from my family, all of that. But, you know, gained, garnered success here, um, you know, became one of the most decorated, like most decorated hurdlers at Syracuse and, and went on to have a great time. And I think it set me up really well to be competitive, not only at Syracuse, but then internationally. And then uh, I guess I found my way back here for, for a law and business. Yeah. And so, um, you know, which I didn't think, I did not think I was going to come here for law school. My dream school was University of Miami. I can say that now. Um, and I can see it just outright I got into the school and for some reason I ended up here whether it was hey I to got in supposed to go <laughs> I got into UM too and I'm a Miami girl it's, dream school <laughs> and it's a beautiful school but it's so goddamn expensive even so living expensive. at home it was so expensive and I just had to choose another school that was offering me money but also a chance to know that I can make it on my own away from my family and away from the connections I had at home. So ultimately that's why I chose Tennessee, but um, yeah, UM would have been amazing, but I'm glad I didn't end up going there. Um, I'm glad I didn't end up going there. You know, everything happens for a reason. Syracuse is a good fit for you. Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say Tennessee has been a good fit for me, but it's been the fit that I needed. It propelled my growth and my personal development. And good. so I needed, I won't, I don't think I would be the same person I am today had I stayed at home and gone to UM. So everything happens for a reason, but I love that you said that you're, you chose Syracuse in undergrad because the track coach 
they're invested in you, wanted to invest in you and more than you as a runner. And I think that is so important. So many people, you know, they want the nicest bag, the nicest car, the nicest this, they want the nicest school. They want to do all these nice things, but just to say they have something nice, but they're not willing to invest in their growth. So I love that you chose, you know, personal development and growth over prestige. And I think that says a lot about who you are as a person and a lot about the program that you chose Syracuse's program as, you know, a lot about the coach and the values of that school and the values you carry. So I think that's, I love that you said that. And I hope that for people, you know, trying to making a similar decision, whether it's about sports or it's schools, you're choosing between schools or between jobs that you look at the values of the people that you're going to, the organization you're joining. Because when you start a new job or join a school or join a, a sports team, you are joining an organization that already exists and already has values. So does do those values match up to your own? What can those values bring to your life and what can you add to that value system? And I think that's really important to take into account. But yeah, so you graduated from undergrad, you almost made the Olympic team, ended up not being able to do it because you decided to go to law school. What was the application process like as, are you still, when you graduated undergrad, were you still an international student going into law school? Are you still an international student right now? Yes. Yes, I am. So what's that like the process, the application process, because law school itself is already hard application process. How different is it? How much more difficult is it as an international student? Oh my gosh. I can't even like stress how annoying it is. First of all, that I'm Canadian and we're neighbors. <laughs> um, no, give me some respect guys. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, it, you know what it, it, it it's a little bit tough being an international student just in terms of like the visa, the paperwork. Um, that process is tedious. Now, I, I want to say I factored into my decision to come to law school in Syracuse because a lot of that I kind of got to bypass because we had already dealt with it in undergrad. They had all my immunization. They had, you know, they had everything. And, you know, they're helping me. Um, they're helping me with getting a social security number and when it comes time for me to like get a work visa like they help with absolutely every single process and it's very nice at least um for for me like that that's kind of like a bonus that I have as an international student so I can't give like the full broad array of what it would be like to apply to law school but in terms of like other schools that I applied to and like got into and got scholarship I want to say that they did take into account my international status but it is more expensive Syracuse is a private school at one flat tuition of like $80,000. I'm going to be completely honest. That's to everyone. doesn't matter if you're international. doesn't matter if you're domestic. Like it's just expensive overall. They do offer pretty good financial aid packages, which is nice. And that is not, um, they're not like discriminatory with their money. If you're international, if you're domestic, like they're still going to offer pretty good, pretty good amount of money. And into my decision to come, of course, is you cannot get, like, I can't apply for FAFSA. And I cannot apply for my Canadian financial aid and get um, like coverage. Essentially, like I believe Canada gives you financial aid per like um, per credit hour. And I'm like transparent and just like an open, honest person. So I'll be, I'll be completely clear. I, I think they give, they gave me about like $6,000, which translates to like $4,000 US. Yeah. Not <laughs> like a lot. That could buy me textbooks. Yeah. That's not a lot. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah. So, so you really, you know, you have to factor in that financial aid component as well um, when you're thinking about becoming an international student in America and at any school level, whether that's undergrad, graduate, um, all that good stuff. But uh, I would say that, you know, in terms of like the visa process as a student and afterwards, they are a little bit favorable to students because they understand, okay, we can trust you. You know, you're a student here. You availed yourself of our facilities in the U.S. and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it, it was pretty much the same. You standardized, at least coming from Canada as well, it was very easy to take the LSAT. I know some countries, it's a little tough to find uh, LSAT availability. So I've been told. Um, and Syracuse in specific is very open to international students. We have a humongous LLM class. Um, I am actually a mentor for our LLM class. I have a couple mentees there and it's really, really cool. So Syracuse is very open to international students. So it's, it's really a fit, at least for my, <laughs> my background as well. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's cool. That you get to be a mentor to them. I love being mm-hmm. a mentor and being a mentee to, and having a mentor. I think such an underrated um, opportunity you have to be a mentor and have a mentor. Um, so I think that's really cool. And yeah, that I'm, I bet that it's nice that Syracuse already had all of your stuff and that definitely makes it easier and that they are receptive to international students. Um, you know, a lot of, well, Syracuse is a very well-known and international school, but I, and there's other schools like that across the country, but not all schools are. So definitely that's important to keep in mind too, as someone who's an international student. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know Syracuse was that expensive. Wow. Um, oh, what? That, no, that's, that's like cost of attendance. I believe the uh, tuition must be 65 Honestly, I don't remember. Okay, it, it's, that it's, makes it's sense. Up. I thought you were saying just tuition is 80. I was like, no, 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 that's no. a lot. Cost of attendance makes more sense. No, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how UM ends up being about 80, about the same 80. But where yeah. I'm at is way, way more, like, it, way, way more cost effective and way less expensive. So ultimately ended up being a better choice. But, um, you know, I mean, Miami will always be there. I'm going home after graduation. Um, if you ever come there. LLM? No, not anytime soon. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, an LLM is a master's. um, And a lot of times foreign attorneys use it to get their credentials in the United States or um, domestic students use it to get a master's in a specific area of the law. For example, tax law. Um, I actually have a friend who was doing a tax LLM at NYU. And I was just like, you're crazy. Um, Specifically tax, but also just why more school? Um, Yeah. It's only one year though. It's not too bad. It is only one more year. In NYU too. That's like a dream. <laughs> yeah. No, it's she's loving it, but I yeah. can't, won't won't be me. Definitely not tax either. I can't do math to save my life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, are you planning to stay in the United States after? Since you pro- your can so because they're so close. Can you? What is the Canadian law school program like to be a lawyer in Canada? I know it's different, but how different is it? And are they like, inter- like how interchangeable are they? Would you be able to practice in Canada if you choose to go back? Yeah, that's actually really good. So I answer like all three parts of questions. One, yes, I want to stay in America um, for as long as life permits, aka my partner <laughs> allows, allows yeah. us to live here. Um, and I think that it, you know, it's, it's a really good place to practice. I want to practice in New York City. And um, I think that it kind of just builds foundational skills for you to be able to work anywhere because New York, of course, hustle and bustle really fast. Um, 
but law school in Canada is four years. So for the first three years, it's your doctrinal classes, you're going to, you know, school and whatnot. And in the final fourth year, you have to do an articling year, which I guess for people who go to school in America and um, are familiar with the American law school process, when you take a summer associate position, think of that, but you have to do that for a full year. And to my understanding, people use that time to also study for the Canadian bar. And then um, they take the bar exam at the end of that process. Now for foreign trained lawyers, um, you go through a process called NCIs and you can um, write these exams to essentially show your proficiency in Canadian law. And you kind of have like a study process. So it's almost like think about like a baby bar and then you have the Canadian bar. Now, um, I think if you go to school in like England, which is very common for uh, some Canadian trained lawyers, just because the law is pretty much the same, it kind of mirrors each other. I believe they have to write seven exams to come back. But I now don't quote me on this. I heard that it's either open book or you have like all of the answers. There's just, there's something, there's, there's a way that the process isn't as hard as it sounds. They just are really looking for proficiency before you actually sit for the actual bar. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're a trained lawyer in the U S or you've been a practicing attorney for a while, you can kind of bypass some of those exams. So they kind of pick and choose which ones you need to show your proficiency in before you're at the Canadian bar. And, um, one of the reasons why I chose to go to Syracuse specifically is because I wanted to write the New York bar exam and not necessarily that it mirrors what would be studied substantively on a Canadian bar exam, but it's like the Canadian bar exam plus. So when it comes time for me to write the Canadian bar, if I choose to, it would be like condensing what I've already learned for the New York bar instead of having to like learn a lot more. So that was like the strategic process behind New York for this Canada second. That makes sense. I like that you guys have, well, not you guys in Canada, they have the like a whole basically an apprenticeship year because I know the UK does that I studied abroad in England in undergrad and I did like a UK law versus US law and I got to learn a little bit about their system it was only a two-week program and I wish it was longer um but like I like that they the way that they do law schools it is an apprenticeship program a lot more so than like doctrinal which I personally learned better hands-on so I think I would have done better in that system um but who knows, Mm -hmm. but where, so you said New York city, and then you said, as long as your partner allows you to stay here. So he came with you from Canada. No, um, you know, you met here. Yeah. We went to the same college, but we just didn't know each other. um, That's fine. And I'm really happy that we didn't because we probably would have just been friends. Um, but, uh, yes. So he is a professional soccer player and, um, and so at least he'll be somewhere playing soccer now, <laughs> somewhere practicing law. And hopefully he wants to stay here. <laughs> and we both want to stay in America. Is he from Canada though? Or yes, he's from? He is. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's very weird. Actually, that, that, that story's like fate, but yeah, he's from literally like 10 minutes from where I grew up. So yeah. That's so funny. I mean, everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. You know, you were, you met, you met when you guys were meant to meet. Um, and that's really funny that you guys like basically grew up around each other, but didn't know it. I went to school Um, with his brother, like we were friends. That's so funny. Weird. The story is weird, but it's, that's so cool. That's a story for another (laughs) podcast podcast. episode. That's so cool. (laughs) Um, I, Hey, if you're ever, he's ever playing in a game close to where I'm at, I'll go with you to the game. (laughs) I love soccer games. Um, I'm really excited that in like 
sometime in the next decade, the U.S. is both hosting FIFA and yes. the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Miami will have like a soccer stadium, soccer games, and I'm just, I can't wait. Okay. Um, I love soccer. My dad's Ecuadorian, so oh. my grandfather and my uncles and they all grew up playing soccer and stuff. So it's that's it's definitely amazing. something like important to me. Um, so that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to having to studying your J- for your JD and MBA, you are also a consecrator on social media. You're on Instagram. You're on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You have a podcast of your of your own. Any other platforms that you're on? And how did you kind of get started into the social media space? No, you hit the nail on the head. Those are my platforms. Um, you know, I'm, the podcast is really iffy, but you know, I think you inspired me to get back into it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I became a content creator by, uh, it was an accident, actually. I was taking pictures of a couple of my girlfriends at the track, and then I guess we went what some would call viral. And then once I kind of had a platform, I wanted to use it in the, the most responsible way possible. And I dibbled and dabbled in different things. And, and you know, you, you kind of, I don't know, I, I can't just project this on other content creators, but I had this block of like, um, inauthenticity. And I was like, I don't like that. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. And I think I kind of found just like a space where I'm free to be, but I think that also (laughs) it's like something that I battle often, you know, wanting to share, but not wanting to overshare, wanting to be private, but also wanting to, you know, demystify education and demystify just life and, and just be, uh, you know, an authentic person through this world and connect with women. And I like girl bosses and empowering women. And I'm just, and that's kind of how the platform came to be. Unfortunately, uh, being a student on a student visa, you are not allowed to work while on a student visa unless it's on campus. So that precludes a lot of the, the content uh, partnerships that I'm, a, that I'm allowed to do during the school year. And unfortunately, it kind of. Uh, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, you can't even like, wait, I know you can't yeah. work while you're on a student visa. That makes sense to me. But you can't even make money doing social media while you're because of the visa. Okay, that has to be its own podcast episode and like we're running out of time, but wait, what? Yeah, (laughs) I didn't know that. No, and sometimes, not sometimes actually, I want to say it actually discourages a lot of my content, but I've I've made a commitment to myself that this year we're not going to allow it to discourage and we still have to keep up, you know, um, the platform just because of out of pure love to connect with an audience and my audience, but I love social media. It's so much fun and I know a lot of people are under the impression that social media is toxic and draining and it can be but you know if I can encourage anyone to do anything it's to follow people you enjoy seeing and enjoy your content like your your social media experience because like I Kayla we met over social media I was literally about to say like yeah it can be so toxic but it could also be so beautiful because You're, you're, you, you curate your feed, but you also curate your following. You curate the content you consume and you get to pick and choose who you want to take up energy in your space. And, you know, I, a lot of the friends that I have are through social media now, and I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't have met you. We wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for social media. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before and we can do so many other podcast episodes just with everything we've talked about here and on your podcast as well. But, you know, you brought up like not really knowing what content to create and having those blockers on and like wanting to be yourself and not knowing what to share or how much to share. And at least for me, I think, you know, we were talking about niches and stuff earlier. Like, I think I have found my groove in 
I am 100% who I am online in person. I am obviously a little bit more in person because there is stuff that I won't share on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I won't share ever. It's just right now I choose not to because it's not my story to tell fully. Um, But I choose to be 100% myself online. And, you know, if you don't like me, don't follow me, but I'm going to share what I feel comfortable sharing. And I don't, I don't care what people think outside. Like, I don't, I don't let out like, you know, I, imposter syndrome, I do struggle with more so in my professional life, Mm -hmm. but my Instagram world, like I don't, it doesn't affect me so much what other people think or say about me, because I know that who I'm putting out online is my, my true authentic self. And I think, you know, you don't have to show everything if that you don't feel comfortable, but what you are putting out there, make sure that that is who you are and who you want to be known as and remembered because that you, that you are building a brand for yourself by being on social media. Yeah. But yeah, it's really hard to know what to share, what not to share. And I struggle with that too. But I realize like if I am not sharing certain things, I'm not being 100% myself. So I realize like as much as it's vul- it's scary to be vulnerable, I am the type of person that I need to be vulnerable mm-hmm. to be able to to be my best self because I am by nature, a very emotional and vulnerable person. And that's why the podcast, I called it, let's get candid. And I have these conversations on because that is who I am. It's an extension of who I am as a person, my best friend. I didn't even tell him like my law school best friend. I was like, I'm starting a podcast. He's like, what's the name? I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking this, this is something with candid. I go, you got like, (laughs) how did you know that? He's like, hello, have you met yourself? Um, It's just, you know, when you start showing up as who you're meant to be in person and online, like other people will see that and other people want to join in and be around it because you can tell it's authentic to you. So um, at least that's how I've been able to figure it out, but it is really hard. And I can only imagine it's harder because you're limited in what you can share because of the visa. And I mean, I know I'm limited simply because of school takes up a lot part of my time Mm -hmm. and there's so much more I want to be doing on social media, but I can't right now while I'm in school, but you know, I'm, I'm, I wish we could talk more about this because it's so interesting, Listen, but we can come for a part two. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll definitely do. We'll definitely do a part two and hopefully yeah. people will send in questions and then we can do more of like a Q and a, whether it's about school or the visa process or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. If you had any piece of advice, one for content creators, but before that for, either international students or for people wanting to go into grad school and moving away from home to go to school and whether it's in a new country, a new state, a new city, because sometimes that's a big, scary decision too. What advice do you have for people wanting to pursue their dreams, but, you know, taking a big leap of faith to do it? Yeah, honestly, that's a really good question. And I am going to be completely honest and say, this is, this is going to be a little bit broad, but I'll break it down. You have to take a risk for yourself and that risks are scary, but I, on the other side of that fear is like, you, you don't even, you can't even imagine and, and it will always, no matter what decision we make in life, it's always going to produce something and whatever it produces is kind of like what we focus and shift our, 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 our like mind on what we're going to produce. So in any decision that I make, and I used to be very conservative and like very anxious because in my decision-making, and now I'm trying to be very, you know, open, open to what can happen and faith over fear. And I know it sounds cliche, but 
on the other side of whatever decision you make is the decision that you choose. I mean, it, it, sorry, it's the result that you choose. Kind of you put your attention towards whatever you want to happen. And I think that taking that risk on yourself kind of produces uh, a, a refined version of yourself. You end up starting thinking thoughts that you never thought and, and having an energy and a, and a will to succeed that you never thought you could have. And so I always am going to say to, to take that risk and like bet on yourself for yourself because what you, what you can produce is unimaginable and, and you can make it beautiful if you want it to be. I love that. I, I wrote that down so I can share that when this goes live. Cause that's, it's so true. It's, and it is scary, but you know, they're like, you don't know what out, what, what's out there. You, you gotta try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you, at least, you know, you can say you tried and then you won't have regrets later. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, like you won't regret it because it's better an oops than a what if, you know, like if mm-hmm. it didn't work out, it didn't work out, but you don't know that it won't work out until you are trying. So I love that so much. And for someone who wants to do content creation, would you, the, I mean, the advice applies as well there, but same. create your content. Yeah. Please. Like, just do it. Just, just, do it. just do it. You get one like, if you get 200, who cares? Yeah. That's one more person. That's one more person than, than you had previously. So yeah. Just and for people that are discouraged about the numbers, like, you know, we get so bogged down now by the numbers and it's like a, like, even if you only have 2000 followers, imagine having 2000 people in the room with you. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. You're still making like, and yeah. like to be an influencer, you don't have to have 10,000 followers and a <laughs> link sticker anymore. Like no. you're influencing the people around you. You're influencing your, your own community. And that's the beauty of the platforms that we have. And at the end of the day, they are a platform and we get to choose how we want to use the platform that we create. So you okay. just got to you just got to do it. But I, I love that. I, I wish we could talk more. I know you have to get back to school. I should probably get back to school, but I won't. I'm recording more (laughs) podcast episodes. Um, but thank you so much, Tia. This was so much fun. We definitely need to have a part two here and then definitely want to be on your podcast soon. And we can talk more about all of this. And if there was any podcast book resource that you love, what would you what would it be? Um, all right. First and foremost, uh, let's get candid. Uh, <laughs> and book wise, uh, the four agreements changed my life by Don, Don Miguel Louise. Yeah. Uh, where can everyone find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram. It's my name. It's at Tia Thevenin. I'm sure you will, uh, see it in the, the bio or the description, how to pronounce yeah. my last name. Cause it's just a lot. And on TikTok, it's <laughs> big sis TT, very simple, big sis, two letters, TT. And that is me. That's where you can find Perfect. me. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it all in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you really loved this conversation as much as I loved having it. I'm so grateful that Tia and I met through social media and I love following her and seeing what she's up to. And in another life, I definitely would have done a joint JD MBA program like she is. So it's really cool to hear all about how it works and how she's handling it all because she is a badass. And yeah, definitely go give her a follow. Make sure you're following at the Let's Get Handed podcast on Instagram. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you like this episode, please leave a rating and review and let me know what your favorite moment was in the comments on the latest post. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.